Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Godpod. And uh, we are here again in our little room in uh, London uh, for a, um, well I hope it's going to be a fascinating discussion on all kinds of aspects of life and theology as we always do. So it's, uh, uh, today our um, uh, conversation is between myself, um, Graham Tomlin, we also have Jane, Jane Williams. We do. As usual. And uh, we have a guest today and we are delighted to have with us uh, Joshua Horden. And um, Josh is uh, the Associate Professor of Christian Ethics in the Faculty of Theology and Religion uh, in the University of Oxford. He's also a, a Governing Body Fellow of Harris Manchester College in the University as well. So Josh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great you're here today. Now you've um, uh, spent a lot of your time, you're a Professor of Christian Ethics, that's your field of uh, theological work, and uh, you've done a lot of work in the field of healthcare, and you, you've written a book um, uh, recently as well, um, which is called Compassion in Healthcare, Pilgrimage, Practice and Civic Life. Uh, quite an intriguing title. It, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about the book, what led you to write it and what, uh, what lies behind it, where do the ideas emerge from and what's the kind of key idea you wanted to explore in it? Well, the book came from an interest in the uh, emotional or affective culture of institutions why people feel as they do, how they feel as they do, when they uh, meet together in institutions, when they're feeling, I suppose, full of sorrow or joy or um, uh, gladness, how those affections uh, interact in some way with each other. So I was interested in that. And, um, Is that something you've always been interested in, yeah. in the way institutions work, so universities? Or yeah, universities, or? politics. But, but I thought healthcare was particularly interesting. Okay. Um, and that's where the pilgrimage bit comes in. That's perhaps the key idea of the book. That a way to think about it is that we're all wayfarers, all human people are, are wayfarers, uh, and some um, become pilgrims, those who have the, the end of their lives uh, um, um, ordered to, to Jesus Christ. Um, so Christ is the, the way upon which we walk, he is the companion on the way, um, and he's the one who, who leads us uh, to the end. So that's, a, that's the idea of pilgrimage. But um, Drawing, drawing out yeah. that distinction between wayfarers and pilgrims, just so mm. I've got it clear in my mind. Yeah. So a wayfarer is someone who's travelling through life with any particular direction. Yeah. A pilgrim is someone whose life is oriented towards Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Indeed. has Jesus as a companion on the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that Jesus yeah. is the way himself. Yes. It's the way yeah. upon which we, we walk. Um, using pilgrimage in a particularly kind of religious yeah, context. Yeah. yeah, not really in the sense of, sort of geographical movements yeah. going to um, a, a site of pilgrimage as such, more just how people move through the world. And a way to make that concrete is to think about healthcare. So in healthcare institutions, people who are passing through life, journeying through the life course in one way or the other, um, um, meet each other, encounter each other. Um, so the life course we would um, think about as being pregnancy, birth, growing up, 
getting older, getting much older, perhaps, mm. and, and, and dying, and in, of course in Christian thought, rising again. So that's the general life course that, that people are on. But when they encounter each other, particular moments in that life course, mm. especially when they're ill in some way, there are possibilities um, for that kind of emotional encounter um, and perhaps a spiritual encounter, which um, uh, are very, very important. And the point is to, to, I suppose, help us to reimagine what happens when we say, enter a, a hospital or a general practice or whatever the appropriate healthcare institution is, wherever uh, the listeners are. Um, this isn't um, a world apart from the world of wayfaring or pilgrimage through life. It's a particularly important concentration, perhaps, of encounter between people on different kinds of journey. And is it, is it so important because um, uh, it, often if you're in, encountering healthcare, it's because there's some kind of crisis going on? Does that give a particular kind of openness, vulnerability that enables different kinds of emotional encounter? It, it, it can do. It could be a, could be a crisis. Um, and of course, um, depends how one views pregnancy and birth. That's, I, I suppose you could think of that as, as crisis. But often it's a, a situation, it could be an ongoing chronic condition. Um, there might be an openness, there might be vulnerability, there might be closeness. Well, there might, might yeah, there? Yes. Absolutely. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a structured environment in which people encounter each other in a way uh, that um, has a possibility of openness. And, and the, the part of the um, title which refers to civic life is supposed to emphasise that in our civic life, um, this is one particularly important place that citizens meet each other on equal, equal terms in some ways, but in ways which are very structured to bring out important questions. So a doctor or a nurse, allied health professional, might be interested in finding out why it's um, important to, to the patient to have this kind of treatment or another kind of treatment. What, what does this moment in their narrative, their journey through the life course, what does it mean to them? Um, of course, you need to have time to explore those questions, um, patients, one uh, uh, with patients. But that's, um, that's the idea. So it's, you're interested in you know, when an encounter like that happens, you go into hospital, you, you're there sitting in your seat and you get up and see the doctor or the nurse um, and you're with other patients around mm. you. Uh, you're interested in not just the kind of medical aspects of that encounter, you know, getting the right treatment, getting the right pills, the right um, bandage, whatever else that you need, but in other, some of the other dynamics of what are going on there, sort of personally, emotionally, spiritually uh, as well. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. So one wise consultant who I have learned from, and I've spent a lot of time listening to uh, doctors, nurses, others who work in healthcare, um, often sits back in a, in a conversation and says, what's important to you? in this conversation. Mm. Starts the conversation like, like that, very open question. Um, and that can allow um, some, um, a, a process of listening. Um, of course, it's a, a sad reality that um, uh, many consultations don't involve much listening, quite a lot of interrupting. Um, um, that's because doctors are under time pressure and so on. Yeah. But how do you open up a space in which there can be a, a deep human encounter. We believe that anyone who enters healthcare is, of course, continues to be God's creature of immense value and worth, uh, with a deep, deep opportunity and uh, to grow in spirituality throughout their lives. How are these uh, encounters in healthcare part of that mix? Mm. It won't be the be-all and end-all. There are many other places that people encounter others in, in, in deep ways. But here's quite an important structured environment mm. in our civic life, which enables that uh, mm. possibility to emerge. And. Um, uh, are, the, are you thinking about this primarily from the point of view of those of us who go and seek medical help? 
Um, you were talking about this wise consultant. Presumably there's a journey going on for the, the healthcare professionals as well. Absolutely. So everyone who is in a healthcare institution is a wayfarer or pilgrim in one mm. way or another. And so there's a very interesting literature about the, the stories of, of, of especially of doctors, but also of nurses, allied health professionals. Um, what are their narratives? What is their hinterland? Mm. And there's, uh, a, a, I think, an important um, a, a, a meeting of narratives, a meeting of journeys. In any particular clinical encounter, there's a meeting of journeys. Someone with their own uh, experience of medicine, what's worked well, what's worked bad in the past, maybe a whole lot of patients who this clinician is thinking about, who's helped, who's made up their, help, help them to imagine what it is to be a, a doctor or a nurse. Um, that's in the room as well in some way. Um, uh, so there are, there are narratives encountering each other, yeah. And, 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 and again, not just clinician and patient, but patients meeting each other um, and clinicians. And, and this, is, this will be quite an unusual perspective for a lot of people. Um, to, to think about this sort of broader framework for interpreting what happens when we go to seek health care. Because most of us, uh, um, as Graham says, we go and ask for a pill and think that's the mm. end of it. Um, what, if, you're, if you're wanting to put this in the broader mm. framework of pilgrimage, what, what are you hoping will come out of that? It, it is unusual in a sense, although it picks up many other themes in what's broadly medical humanities and a good deal of clinical training, which is paying attention to the narratives of people in the room, taking mm. a history. This is, in other sense, so taking a history is a normal part of medical practice. Mm. You, you find out where someone's coming, and that includes taking a spiritual history. That's recommended by the General Medical Council, in fact. Is it? Um, yes, yeah. it is. Um, and uh, maybe. What do, they, what do they mean by spiritual history? So. They may mean nothing in particular. <laughs> uh, doctors, as... So um, anything that's non-medical or physical? Well, yes. Um, yeah. So doctors may interpret that as they, as they wish in accordance with you know, their, their own professional understanding. But I think it certainly allows for, of course, religious faith um, yeah. and how a patient understands himself or herself on this, on this moment in their journey through life. Um, uh, but of course, spirituality is often not in that much more organised form these days. It might have quite a broad valence. Um, so I, 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 there'd be no one answer yeah. to that. I think. If I can just dig into your distinction between the wayfarer and the pilgrim, if the if the pilgrim is someone whose life is oriented towards mm. Jesus Christ, what difference does that make in that encounter? Um, so say if you're dealing, if you come in and you're dealing with a a doctor, a GP, who is a pilgrim mm. rather mm. than a wayfarer. Mm. What difference might that make? Should that make? Uh, yeah. Could it make to that encounter? Yeah. Might. Or the other way around. You know, if you're yeah, coming yeah. in as a, if the patient is a pilgrim as opposed to a mm. wayfarer, what what? Yeah. What are the differences. Yeah. I mean, might, should, and could in your in your question, very important words. Yeah. You know, because I think it, it it will vary widely, and I'm conscious that many Christian clinicians, for example, work extremely hard and can burn out, often through overburdening themselves with a sense of responsibility. At the same time, the question is very important. So what is it that, we, what is it that a Christian, um, let's say patient, might, might, um, uh, who's a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, same kind of range, uh, same kind of, range of language, they're following Jesus into a clinical encounter. The question I, I suppose I hope I'd ask of myself is, what am I, what does this moment mean in my following of Jesus? What am I to learn of Christ in this encounter about him? And who else might be in need in this situation? One of the key emphases that I put in the in the book is that we don't 
or at least ideally we shouldn't operate as single pilgrims, but rather in bands, bands of pilgrims. Uh, Augustine puts it this way, but we're, we're, we're flotillas of ships sailing across an ocean, hoping for our the haven, the harbour suite of rest, as the hymn puts it. Mm. Um, uh, um, but it's a choppy sea. It's a difficult, it's a difficult road to shift the image back again. Um, but we, are, we move in bands. Who can I help? Who, who might I bless yeah. as I move along this road? Um, uh, not that my own help is unimportant, but I'm thinking all the time, who else is on the journey with me? And that might include the clinician who needs a, who needs a word of encouragement. Mm. Flipping it round, the clinician's in a slightly different situation, of course, there, because they are, like it or not, an, an authoritative figure mm. who's a gatekeeper and has to be careful in the way that they might, um, um, as it were, um, deploy their pilgrim identity. Mm. Um, and I think, I think um, uh, again, it's perfectly permissible for um, uh, Christians who are healthcare practitioners or people of any religious faith to talk about religion faith if it's going to help mm. and not harm mm. uh, the person they're caring for. Um, but I think it, it, the pil- it's crucial to understand that, that the, a, a, a pilgrim who's a, a clinician has to try to see the world through the eyes of the wayfarer mm. <laughs> um, who may well not be thinking at all about yeah, any, sure. any, any of such matters. Yeah. Um, and so taking them seriously, their narrative, how they've wayfared through life to this point, yeah. what's their next point on the yeah. journey? Um, yeah. yeah, that's it is helpful, isn't it? Because one of the things you, you hear quite often in um, debates about health care, you know, occasionally you hear the story of a, a Christian doctor who is taken to task mm. for offering to pray with a, with mm. a, with a mm. patient or something like that. Mm. And you can kind of see what, 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 what that's about. There's a fear mm. there of imposing mm. your religious views yeah. upon patients yes. in, an, in an illegitimate way. Yes. Yet at the same time, it seems to be there's a kind of mood that says you must almost check your, your faith at the door when you mm. go into your clinic, um, as if you have to kind of operate in a sort of slightly um, inauthentic way, pretending that you're not who you are. And it strikes me what you're proposing is that we we see people in the round as not just doctors or patients, but people who have a history, have a story, mm. who have a uh, as an emotional yeah. baggage that's brought to it, and a, and a sort of spiritual mm. life as well. So in some ways, yeah, you can't yeah. entirely and check that that part of you at the door when you go into the clinic. And it would be improper to do so, according, as I understand it, to the general medical council, who, who recognise in their in their account of good medical practice that doctors may have deep beliefs and commitments, religious or otherwise, which sustain them in their work and which can be um, sensitively um, uh, brought into their work. But it might not be in a patient encounter. It might be, but it might be in the way that they run, they manage affairs, uh, the way that they look out for their colleagues. I think collegiality is incredibly important here. What is it that, that will sustain people? I mean, there's a recruitment and retention crisis in, um, in, in parts of our health service. What is it which will sustain people in the immense challenges of, of such work? So that kind of neighbourliness uh, to others who are working alongside you, as well as those who are who are patients. I, I wouldn't want to um, be heard to be mainly focusing on talking about prayer in, in clinics. Yeah. That's not really my focus, to be honest. It's so more it's more about the general how we reimagine, how we reframe the encounters, so that our, our rationality is biomedical, certainly. It's more than biomedical, it's narratival, it's peregrine. In, in, and in, in and one of the words you use, mm. one of the things mm. that you're exploring is, mm. is the whole um, diaconus. Mm. Um, and I wondered if that was 
if that would help in the kind of question that, mm. that Graham was asking um, and, uh, and, and the way in which you're responding to that about how um, we might want to offer service of one kind or another. Tell us a little bit about that concept. Yeah, so this is a very important um, area of the reflection of the life of the church, I think. Um, so this is the, um, the term uh, diaconia, uh, which um, historically has, um, certainly the Church of England has come to be identified with a particular order of people, um, perhaps her deacons. Um, um, but um, in, in, in European continents, um, the diaconie in the, in, in the German church has, um, has really referred to a whole range of social services which the church has provided, especially health and care services. Um, so in Calvin's church in Geneva, the deacons were the sort of practical people who mm. administered the, the funds to the yeah. poor and that kind of thing. They weren't just a, a year's preparation for the priesthood. Yeah. They were, yeah. There was a particular order. It was very much about the practical administration of, of the life of the community, wasn't it? Indeed, yeah. I mean, well, you'd be the expert in that, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, but the German and the Swiss context, are, and, and indeed the Dutch context, all, all provide uh, images of how, how we can um, um, deploy this language in this, in, in this broader sense. Now, one of the challenges of the language is um, that uh, um, if one looks at um, more recent New Testament scholarship, diaconia, um, it's, come to, it's come to be almost synonymous with this kind of um, service to the needy, whereas probably the language really doesn't originally mean that. It means yeah. some kind of uh, the commission for an authorised task. Yeah. And that is uh, the work of John N. Collins and then in our own context by Paula Gooder and, and others who, who really brought this to our attention. So what is it that the Church of England or other churches might do to in some way commission people for an authorised task mm. in the space of healthcare? Yeah. So this could be in a variety of um, settings. Um, uh, so this is shifting away, in a sense, from what a state might provide in terms of healthcare, so it's very important though it is, to more what civic life looks like when infused with that ecclesial vision of commission service or commission tasks in the health in the health space. And I think that's where a lot of the, the paradigm is shifting, is to trying to move a lot of health and care outside the sort of traditional formal health structures more into uh, at the space of civic life partnerships between local authorities, churches, um, and indeed health services. It's a great, great missional opportunity actually for the church to think how might yeah. we be commissioned. And so, so would you be encouraging those, I mean, there may be some people listening to God mm. today who are you know, nurses, doctors, mm. people who work in hospitals, um, uh, and they're Christian people, they're pilgr mm. pilgrims, rather than supposed yeah. to just wayfarers, as you say. Um, so you, you're saying you would encourage them to, to think of themselves uh, very much as Christians in that context, maybe commissioned by the church mm. uh, as, um, uh, as representatives of Christ, people mm. who bear the name of Christ in that, that, that context, but, but definitely not checking their faith at the door when they Indeed engage so. in, in the work of healthcare. Indeed so, there's that side of things. Um, uh, we should remember that there's another kind of diaconia, which the kind of diaconia which political authority has in Romans 13. It itself is, 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 yeah. is, is identified as a diaconos. Mm. And so it is commissioned by God to, um, to, to do what is right, to uphold what is, mm. what is right, as well as, of course, to judge against what's wrong. And so um, I suppose in an established church setting, a, a, a Christian might read their identity in some way as being um, both commissioned by uh, by the state to work in a healthcare environment and, and by the church. But I think the, the commissioning part from, from a church context needs to be quite specific and carefully thought about because um, it, it, it's, 
if, if someone is commissioned for a particular service, the most obvious example at the moment is parish nursing, I suppose, where, yeah. where, 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 where nurses are commissioned by parishes to work alongside established um, healthcare authorities. That would be the kind of thing which I'd think about, or new civic uh, innovative ideas that churches have. One key further point is that diaconia, because it's commissioned, clearly has a reference back to the authority who commissions it, which is the church, but under the church, God. And that's one of the difficulties that diaconia, I think, in the European continent has run into. It's become a bit, a bit detached from that sense of having been commissioned for an evangelical task. And so I, the, the caution I want to emphasize is that if we do talk about diaconia in this sense, of Christians being commissioned in some way, perhaps by churches, um, then being very conscious of the missional purpose of that, um, rather than um, losing that. Losing and that and if, if mm. such people are commissioned by us, the church, mm. and what kind of responsibility do we have for them? Because mm. on the whole, churches are not terribly good at finding out what people do outside church buildings and how we support them, are they? Yeah. Well, this, this is part of the broader mood, I think, within a broader set of questions for us in the, in the Church of England, other churches, no doubt. Uh, I mean, um, uh, the, the everyday faith uh, uh, movement, which is going on, uh, with, um, uh, and the uh, project to, which I've been a bit involved in called Calling All God's People, mm. which is trying to promote a, a, a much broader understanding of, of calling in our, in, our churches, in our church's life. However, the accountability point is the point which perhaps you're particularly emphasising. If someone is commissioned, then they're accountable, uh, much as a, a, someone who's ordained deacon and, and priest is, mm. is accountable. And so you've got to be pretty careful with how you deploy that language if you are taking the sort of the, the, the commission for authorised for a task uh, view of diaconia. I think it's got a lot going for it because it helps us to keep focused on mission. Mm. Can I just draw out the other word in the title, which is the word compassion? Mm. And... Um, how that plays into that, and, and what is the role of compassion within healthcare? Because mm. uh, I guess compassion means a kind of feeling with mm. someone, uh, that sense of empathy, that sense of um, um, suffering with even, mm. you know, the passion. And uh, how does that operate in this context, particularly within a, again, thinking of those people who mm. may be listening to this who are mm. involved in healthcare in yeah. one way or another? So I think uh, compassion is. Um, it's a very vague word. It's kind of a blanche word in mm, lots of ways. Yeah. Um, and it's a big problem to, to use it in an undefined way. So I take, I hope, some care in the book mm. to try to say what I mean by it. Um, and so just going back to what I was saying earlier about affective or emotional culture, mm. I, I take it that affections are actually forms of understanding, mm. ways of understanding the world. Um, so I have sort of a cognitive approach to affections, if you like. Um, and what happens in compassion, um, I think of compassion par paradigmatically as a quality of relationship, mm. and only secondarily as a personal character strength. Mm. So it's a personal character strength in as much as it decenters you in favour of a compassionate relationship. So why is that important? It's important because um, at the heart of compassion, especially in a healthcare context, we, which what you're asking about, has to be some level of consent. Mm -hmm. yep. And by that I mean that one person is consenting, implicitly or explicitly, to have some information about themselves, their story, travel over to another person, often quite deep, sensitive personal things, not only about their health condition, but how they feel about that condition, how they're understanding it at this moment. And the other person is receiving that. And that person cannot be properly compassionate mm. unless they're in an interdependent relationship with the other person, they can try to be compassionate, perhaps, but they're not going to be informed. 
So there's a consensual relationship, a relationship of trust between two people. Now, of course, they've got to be ready to, be into, to move into that relationship. Um, um, so what is it? it it's, it's cognitive, it's a form of understanding, it's, it's alleviative. The relationship is aiming at some kind of alleviation of the suffering of at least one, one person. And um, it's participative. Um, one person is trying to, perhaps to, to participate in the imaginative thought world of, of the other, their health condition as well. Um, but especially, and this is perhaps slightly more controversial, it, it might be persuasive as well. I take it that an interchange between two people will invo might involve the change of mind of at least one of them. Mm. Um, so mm. compassion inherently, it seems to me, if it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a rich kind of compassion that I've described, involves a possibility of persuasion. Now, that might be that a, 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 a patient is persuaded to see their situation differently and better through the relationship they have. But it might equally, and often perhaps just as commonly, be the other way, that the clinician learns to see their own practice and the care of their other patients better through the encounter uh, they have. So is compassion something you can learn? Can you do it? How do you set about becoming mm. a passionate, a compassionate healthcare mm. um, provider? Yeah. So I'm, I'm generally a bit of a sceptic about sort of virtuous habituation. I think we tend to overestimate our own virtue and, and other people's virtue. Um, so um, a, a sort of strong, perhaps Aristotelian, to sort of uh, uh, go back to some mm. classical thought, uh, idea that we can sort of work ourselves yeah. into compassion. But I'm, I'm a yeah. bit of a sceptic on that. I'm probably more, more, more in Luther's camp, perhaps, yeah. um, on, on that. He was very sceptical about it. <laughs> The Melanchthons, very convinced by the, Aristotle. The Melanchthons, I think, who was perhaps a bit yeah, more on that yeah, side. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, but I, I, I knew I, quite how they didn't fall out over it. Yeah. But they did. They didn't. I, yeah. I, the way the the way the book argues is that um, uh, ultimately it's through um, gracious second personal encounter that we um, uh, learn um, uh, compassionate relationship. It's through being compassionate relationship, most basically with God, uh, the pilgrims. Mm -hmm. Um, of receiving grace, of um, having that parental care as a father has compassion on his mm. children mm. Um, in Psalm 103, um, that we uh, enter into that space. That's not to say that those who, who, who don't have that personal faith in God cannot be um, entering into a compassionate relationship. That's, that's not the case. They're still creatures of God benefiting from the, the, creature, the, the creation which structures them into co-suffering relationships mm. one way or another. So it's possible by God's common grace and by special grace that people can learn compassion. But I think it tends to be through, um, so in, in, in Aquinas' sense, it's, it's misericordia, a misericordia, which is that sadness of heart, um, um, which generally, Aquinas says, I mean, drawing on Augustine, um, comes through an awareness of some weakness in oneself. Perhaps a weakness which is of, of health, but also a moral weakness. And from a sadness of heart in one person, you recognise the sadness of heart in another person. Um, but the acknowledgement of weakness and dependency is the initiation. Um, so I think that's how I'd think about it. Um, so I guess regularly receiving the Eucharist would be a good idea in terms of our, our, sense, of, uh, our, our sense of dependence upon, upon or, Christ. Or the practice of confession. Or the practice of confession. Um, yeah. Confession as well as compassion. The two things can relate mm. into one another. That I guess yeah. if you're... Because I guess what you're, what you're mm. saying is, is, say if you're a doctor or a nurse, you go mm. into every encounter not as the expert dispensing mm. um, medical knowledge and wisdom, mm. although you do You that, do do that, certainly. But also as someone who has their own anxieties and fears and, mm. and uh, struggles, uh, which almost 
enable you to imagine and sympathize with and empathize yeah. with the struggles and fears and anxieties of the other person. And actually, if you go into the encounter without those, those anxieties yeah. and fears and struggles, that's something missing in the encounter. It can be. Of course, um, our doctors are, I think, rightly at this point, when I, I mean, I've, I've listened a lot of, and, and learned a lot from what they say, and it's, you've got to be very careful what you disclose in a certain yeah. setting. Yeah. And in a sense, that wouldn't be too different from, say, a spiritual direction yeah. or um, other practices well-known in, in, in the church. But I guess you can go into an encounter not necessarily disclosing it, exactly. but being aware of it. It's your hinterland well. from yeah. which you draw. And um, our, I think our tendency, probably, is to view healthcare more in a kind of consumerist yeah. a transactional mode rather than what I think would historically certainly in, in civil, Christian civilization have understood to be which is a mode of hospitality hospitals hosp is a place for an in on the way rather than a home for good yeah. um, but it's it, it is it, it is that, that we come into a place we receive some kind of welcome yeah. um, uh, we get some kind of encounter um, and then we move on from there and it seems to me that uh, that's that we're reimagining these the, these spaces, mm -hmm. as opposed to seeing those sliding doors at the entrance to a hospital, certainly in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in in the UK, as being some somehow hermetically sealing us off from the rest yeah. of civic life or ecclesial life. No, no, no. This is still God's creation. Still God's creatures. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose um, I, without wanting to sound consumerist about mm. it, a lot of people um, are involved in healthcare because mm. they're hoping to get better. Or at least um, to have their um, their symptoms alleviated. Mm, and um, I, I teach in a theological college. A lot of my a lot of the students um, who are studying to uh, be ministers in the Church of England uh, will be visiting hospitals as chaplains, as volunteers, as people praying for um, people to get well. Um, is that something we should be doing, or should we be concentrating? Um, how how does how do we pray in those kind of settings? So two questions there, at least. I think, think the um, um, certainly health is ordered to the healthcare is ordered to, to promotion of, of, of human health, and I suppose you have well-being, um, and uh, certainly we should um, celebrate and be thankful for uh, the wonderful developments in healthcare, which have enabled us to um, mostly live um, good long lives. I'm deeply um, grateful not to have had to give birth in any century other than indeed and we should be, be of course very aware of uh, fistula charities operating all over um, places where there aren't uh, those good quality yeah. obstetric services I'm conscious of that um, so we're thankful for, for that progress but we mustn't as it were um, think that that um, a progress in the quality of the healthcare um, somehow pushes out the central questions of what it is to flourish as a human mm. being what yeah. it is to yeah to grow old and age well. Um, and I suppose that's um, where um, we might particularly pray is that um, um, the point of the pilgrimage and wayfaring images is that health is a useful good, but it's not, it can't be a good which we finally enjoy. At least we say casually, are you, are you enjoying good health? And we know what we mean by that. Mm. But for Augustine, well. the only real enjoyment to be found in God or in our neighbor as we enjoy them in God, towards God. Um, and so we should be conscious of health as a good, but a penultimate good, mm. and then be conscious that we can learn as society um, uh, um, about, the, about one another and about uh, what society is for, what civic life is for, um, through healthcare. But it's through healthcare. Healthcare itself can't be an end. Mm. It's for other things. So, 
Yeah. Sorry. So, 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 so we should pray that, our, that, that, that um, in our churches, in our culture, that we understand the goodness of health, but not, not become so fascinated by it that we see it as the, as the end. Because I suppose, um, and let me just push a little bit yeah, more on. about that. I mean, uh, there, there is a way of praying um, that sort of assumes that nothing is going to happen. Mm. And so what you're doing is, is praying that, that mm. people will be nice to each other or something. But, mm-hmm. but, but do we pray for healing, even if it is a penultimate good? Do we uh, assume it's a good that God might want us to have? Is it... Do we encourage people to go in and pray for physical healing? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. It seems, seems entirely right. As it's a, um, health is a good gift of God's of God's creation. We suffer ill health um, uh, as we all do because of the our, our mortal condition, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that we should do that. At, at the same time, I mean, I remember a, a story of a friend of mine who um, who uh, has now gone on to be uh, with the Lord, and uh, in when a particularly pressing moment in his uh, health arose he particularly wanted people to pay for his endurance mm. and especially not to become overly fascinated by him getting better right. but to pay for his endurance in that time and again we n- need to keep on reading our bibles keep on thinking mm. about say what is it to to follow christ to bearing uh, the cross which we all bear in our mortal condition um, of of sickness and ill health um, uh, at, at times in our lives, or of course those who we love. It's not just our own health, but the, the often it's much harder for those who are caring for those who, are, who, have, who have ill health. What can we learn through that time? Certainly we should hope in most circumstances to, to, to improve in our health. Um, on the other hand, some Christians recognising that um, much more invasive treatment, for example, at the end of their lives, won't help them to finish well, mm-hmm. um, prefer not to have that and uh, to seek a palliative option earlier. Mm. And I think that's an interesting kind of witness. Um, and of course, pallia- palliation, we should remember, can last for many years now, not just for a short period. Yeah. It's a helpful place to end, really, which is, just, which is on... Because um, I guess there may be people listening to this podcast who are going through ill health of one mm. kind or another and going on their way as, yep. as pilgrims, travelling through something mm. in a sort of valley of, 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 yeah. of ill health. And then some of those thoughts saying... Uh, uh, quite helpful in just, just navigating that and how you pray, uh, what you pray for, and so on. I mean, is there anything else you'd want to say to someone going through that in, in the light of what you've um, been talking about in the book um, as to how we, as Christians, approach that part of our life, whether it's mm. illness leading towards death or even just a period of ill health during life, which one hopes is going to come to an end and return to, 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 um, to good health again? Mm. Well, I suppose... I wouldn't presume to speak into their situation without knowing them, but, but, but my prayer would be that they'd have faithful companions mm. on that journey who mm. can um, mm. remind them that they are one of a band of pilgrims and that many have gone before. And of course, as we learn from Hebrews, there are others who are lining the way um, in prayer for them already and, and cheering them on. Um, uh, but that Christ can encounter us in, in the depths, in the darkness, and he's promised that he doesn't leave us, he's still our shepherd as we go through the valley. There are other sheep too, perhaps, who are yeah. keeping you company sure. in the valley. Yeah. I think that's especially important. So my prayer would be that someone li- hearing this and in, in, who's facing, could be all sorts of, uh, health, could be all kinds of health conditions, maybe not the end of their lives, maybe it's a very dark point in their lives, could be mental health, could be physical health, um, has companions 
who can who can walk with them, uh, uh, real friends who can listen, so compassionate people. Indeed. Who can with them. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Josh, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating mm. to kind of uh, uh, talk about these issues together. So the book is uh, Compassion in Healthcare: Pilgrimage, Practice, and Civic Life, published by Oxford University Press, and um, available in all good bookshops, as they say. So, um, uh, Josh, thank you again so much for coming in today. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for having me. Good, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed that um, conversation about healthcare. We'll be back again very shortly with yet another good one. That was GodPod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.